Hi there, I'm Mike. And I'm Matt. And we're Third Law of Motion, and you're listening to the Northwest Convergence Zone. Hi, I'm Danielle Agnew, an artist on Maurice the Fish Records, and you are listening to the Northwest Convergence Zone. Hi there, this is Pat Cashman, and you're listening to the Northwest Convergence Zone, a zone that contains more than 58 Taco Time restaurants. Have you you tried their new bean burrito? It's fabulous. Coming to you from the Man Cave. Deep in the heart of the Pacific Northwest, you have entered the Northwest Convergence Zone. Hey, welcome everybody to the Northwest Convergence Zone show. This is Big D here with you as I am each and every week. Welcome. And uh, man, what a week it's been. It's, uh, you know, rainy, crappy weather, Seattle style, but we're here. There was sunshine today. Yeah, well, today is as we recorded, but uh, you know, last week it was pretty pretty nasty. I was ready to put the gun to my head once again. Here it is. You guys have some Zoloft you can hand off or something. I mean, no, I keep that myself. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, I want to say hello to uh, Wonder Boy. The Saint and Squeeze, thank you guys for being here. Thanks so much. And uh, Double D, how you doing, man? Doing great. I actually enjoy the liquid sunshine. Do you? Pretty much, yeah. Well, you were raised here, though, man. I was raised down south yeah. where this stuff just starts to bother me. It's not really well, the rain. I just rain. keep telling myself I like it. But you know what? It's not the rain. It's the low gray clouds, you know? Yeah. It's just like it's dark when I get up, and it doesn't... It just, yeah, but you get up at like some ungodly hour of like 3 this is, this o'clock is true. in the morning. That is true. I'm sleeping. I want to say hello to my uh, my lovely co-host here, Voxy. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Good. And I, you, I heard you guys had a kick-ass show we had on amazing Friday night. Show with the big wheel stunt show at Jazz Bones, we did. Yep. And uh, I heard you got a little uh, tied up. Uh, yeah, well, I was gonna. I really wanted to make it down. I, it was in my calendar, and I had it, you know, all planned out. I was going to pick up my daughter who was coming up from uh, Portland on Amtrak, and she was supposed to come in at a certain time. So I went down there to pick her up, and they delayed. The train was delayed, so I thought, well, I can wait this out. And then it got delayed again, again, again. Finally, when she finally showed up, Shows. I could have actually okay. gone to your show and then gone to gone pick her up, but I, I didn't know, so I missed it. I apologize. Now, were you going to bring her to the show after you picked nah, her up? No, she's not 21, uh, you know, okay. but well, uh, she's a big fan, though. Oh, she awesome. loves you guys' stuff. Good to hear. And I want to welcome in my buddy over here, uh, Raymond Hayden from Maurice the Fish Records. He's our guest co-host today. How you doing, brother? Good. What's up, Big D? It's good to have you on. And how are things in the Maurice the Fish camp these days? Things are great, man. All the artists are busy. Uh, we have probably half the artists with new albums getting ready to come out and um, new venues and everyone's busy, busy, busy and making money. And we're getting new network people like Voxy. By the way, Voxy, that intro you did, 
Can I get a copy of that? <laughs> um, all I want to know is... I'll wave my $25 that, fee. That is some amazing... That is some awesome stuff right there. That's man. like... Yeah. Um, you know, That's I, gold. I'm baby. single, ladies, by the way. <laughs> but uh, all I need is Foxy's voice, you know, and I'm good. So. But, uh, no, we did do some stuff this week, though. Uh, I missed your show, but we did... Uh, we were able to make it to a few other shows. And uh, on Wednesday night, we went down to the Tempest Lounge. I, it was my first time ever... I to the Tempest my, Lounge. Uh, third time there, which might surprise everybody. That I, shocks me. Yeah. <laughs> but we were down there, yeah, and uh, we Daniel. We saw Daniel. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. It was a great show. And also, uh, Senior Teddy Haggerty. Teddy Haggerty. Man was About there. Town was there. Good friend of us, good friend of the show. And uh, he's always got something in the work, man, that Teddy. Oh, he's, he's a, got a thousand things going in his brain. Yeah, I like time. Teddy. Teddy's good stuff, and uh, he's working with the uh, Dockyard Derby Dames right now, uh, putting together some posters. So, cool. uh, but uh, Daniel Agnew, that was the first time. I can't tell you really how stoked I was because uh, back in the day when I was on the radio, Pope Jane came out, and I was a huge fan, and she was the lead singer of that band, and uh, never got to see them live. But I got to see her on Wednesday, and that was quite a treat, I have to say. I was kind of bummed we had to go out a little early, but uh, it was fantastic. Don't you think it was good yeah, stuff? Yeah, it was great. Great music. It's a cool joint, too. The Tempest Lounge down there in uh, the hilltop of Tacoma, which is not, you know, a lot of people kind of shy away from that. But uh, they, they've they really raised the bar down there, and a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, I don't know how long it's been open as the Tempest, but Five it's... Years. Has it been five, five years? years? Yeah, they just celebrated it's, their fifth year anniversary. It's in nice, hour. clean, safe. Oh, we found a park. Found place. a parking spot. Walked in. I mean, back in the day, yeah, I wouldn't have taken a bus down there. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But I keep now, about this day, the day. Were you around in the, the 80s day. and the early 90s? In the 80s and 90s, you did <laughs> oh, not do Lord. Hilltop. Oh Lord, they they had like police barricades, you wow. know, all around Hilltop. Yeah. You didn't dare go in there. I'm you know, you're old when you can say the day. Yes. And then on Saturday, <laughs> we had day. a really great experience. We got to go. We went down to the uh, New Frontier. Sure, saw James Coates and yeah. saw I Body was there, Box. Yes, you were they Boxy, packed was the there? place. They were turning people away. It was packed, and uh, it was a great show. And I know you had to be proud because so proud. you know you you were with those guys oh, were yeah. back in you know doing the, uh, the, the open mic stuff. Back the in the day, back in the, the day. day. I was going to avoid saying that, <laughs> but you were with him in the open mic uh, yes, times when he was yeah when Kurt Lindsay was a solo act when James Coates was a solo act and you know I mean he, you, you, you they love James saw. Coates yeah yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sure all of us have been to plenty of open mics, and and you're lucky, um, you know, when you get to see the good acts because sometimes you got to sit through <laughs> some stuff. <laughs> Why are you so looking great. at me? <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on. Uh, <laughs> was Raymond Hayden in the dark drive home down there? No, it was Raymond My, Hayden in the light drive home. Back <laughs> <then>. <laughs> My point being, when the people daytime drive. like um, Kurt Lindsay or James Coat or them get on stage for an open mic, and it's just like wow. You know, yeah, it you was know they're not going to be at the open mic stages for long. Before and I heard you guys and Big Will Stunt Show laid it down. And oh, uh, the South Sound is alive and well. There's a lot of great music going on. And uh, we've been blessed here. We really have. The Northwest, I think, is in a resurgence. That's why we're here. We love to talk and um, promote great artists who are rolling through our area, who are from our area. And speaking of, Danielle Agnew, we had her um, come into the studio. I know she's on your label. And, and tell us real quickly, how how are you so fortunate to sign her? 
Well, um, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, um, Danielle and I have been friends since 1992. Um, Danielle had a band back then. She was actually had a different stage name. She went with Danielle Murray, and she had um, the big ass. Am I, can I say ass? Yes, you you may. I just want to make sure I can you say. You just ass. can't say big. Oh, okay. <laughs> she had ass. <laughs> she had these black spandex, and that ass was all. Oh no, no, but um. What were we talking about? <laughs> oh, no. So um, she was in a band called Danielle Murray, and um, I, was in a, I had a band called Nevis. It was a Chicago-type band with a horn section. Anyway, we played. It was the last show of my band, and I kind of went through a little bit of a defunct. So I actually was her keyboard roadie for a while. We got to know each other. Um, I, um, you know, we just became, stayed friends over the years. When she went to do Pope Jane, we lost track a little bit, got back in touch. And actually, about three and a half years ago, uh, she is one of four women who I'm very fortunate, you know, I'm not going to be goofy, who, who helped me gain the confidence to start Maurice Fish Records. Um, she came up to the Northwest. She called me. She said, I got a little bit of time. Do you want to meet for a beer? I said, sure. So we met at the Tides. Seven hours later, after we'd gone over this and that about the idea about the label, she gave me this, the strength to do it. And then Susan, Jolene Green, uh, now Chase and I, um, with Danielle's help, started the label. And um, so not only was she responsible for helping me with the original vision, but um, she was the first artist, the absolute first artist that signed to Morris Fish Records. Wow, that awesome. is amazing. So. She's a fantastic talent. She just uh, had a glowing review in the Tacoma Weekly, and I, I highly recommend all of you go check that out. More importantly, she's doing a lot of shows around here right now, and you have a chance to catch her. More importantly than that even, she stopped in here, and we had a conversation with her, and this is how that went. Next guest on the big program today is another of the fine stable of the Maurice the Fish recording artist, multi-talented, multifaceted, very deep soul. Uh, been a fan of hers for a long time. She was the lead singer of the band Pope Jane, which was a big part of the girl band movement back in the 90s. Danielle Egnu joins us. Hi, Danielle. Hi, thank you for having me. This is fun. Thanks for coming in. It is an absolute honor and a privilege to have you in today. Now, you are uh, currently living in L.A. Yes. And you're up here on like a like eight gig 
uh, swing or so. It's like your Northwest Western Washington tour at the moment. Yes. And how's absolutely. that going for you? You know, it's going great. I have had such a great time and I always do when I come up here to the Northwest. You know, it's so much fun to actually get to play with my Northwest family up here in Maurice the Fish Records and the venues have all been terrific. The people have been terrific. I'm having a ball. Yeah, we had a good time. Uh, several of us went down on Wednesday night at the uh, Tempest Lounge and saw Danielle do her thing and it was Great evening. Uh, she's wonderful, uh, beautiful talent, and her songs are fun, and they're deep at the same time, and she's just really, really talented. And let's talk a moment about Pope Jane, because I, like I said, I was a big fan, uh, and you guys, you're, you reminded me that you have not called it quits. You guys are just sort of in a hiatus. Right. But take us back to the Pope Jane days where you guys got together, uh, what the landscape of the music was like at the time, and here's this girl band, and, uh, you know, we're, was it hard to get going as a girl band? Was, you know, was was the reception good? Because you guys seem to come out of nowhere and then and then hit pretty big. Well, thank you, thank you very much for noticing. Um, <laughs> you know, no, we actually we took advantage of a period in time that no longer exists in the music industry. It just does not exist. And the the period of time that we took advantage of was being able to make an all female band that would still kind of that was still novel, you know, back in the mid 90s. Yeah, because I mean, up to that point, it really you had some female lead singers. Right. Um you had some maybe some female solo artists, but their their backup band were all guys. Right. Very rare to see uh, you know, chick playing the the drums, the bass or you know, like wailing on a guitar. Um, usually it was just the woman stood up in front and fronted the band. But there was this movement that started happening with, like, uh, we talked about L7 and um, the Gits. And, right, right. Uh, you know, you could go down the list. And you guys were part of that movement. And you're right. It seems to have gone away all of a sudden, which I find to be pretty sad. I do, too. And, and back in the day, we started in 94. Um, we put our first record out in 95. And we had five records total. But... What was so cool is we were in Montana, and that's where we started in Montana. Like, who, you know, <laughs> what, we started a farm? No, we started a band. And so what was neat about that was that we played uh, a very unconventional way. We would get booked in lieu of cover bands. So we would play four sets like a cover band on a Friday and Saturday, except we played all original material. So we came out the gate with 80 original songs wow. that we just, Jeez. you know, that we just ran through. And I, re I would go negotiate with these bars because they are looking for a cover band, you know? Right, I'd right. say, look, it's an all chick band. I'd throw the chick thing out there. Of course. <laughs> of course. I'm a shameless promotion whore. It's like, we're hot. Right, you know? <laughs> I'd say, look, you know, here's, it's like six breasts total. Come on. I know exactly. Thank you very much. So I said, "Do you care what we play? As long as you care what we're playing, as long as people are dancing." Yeah, exactly. And they said, "No, we don't." And so we started doing that. We would sell our swag, our CDs, our T-shirts. We got paid to play the gig, and that through, you know through my went from Montana to Wyoming to Idaho to the Dakotas, eventually out here to Washington State, and the circle just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and now, I mean, there's still areas of the country I would encourage people to take that formula and use it because there's still places you can do that. Sure. Well, and the irony of the situation, which, uh, you know, just because I would sit around the studio and spin these tunes and look at the, the you know, your, your CD and read the liner notes and stuff while the songs were playing, is that Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, 
all seem to be fairly masculine cowboy, you know, type places. And here's this girl band that just sort of kicks the door open and it's like, we're chicks and we're coming from, you know, the heart of this cowboy country. And it wasn't country music at all. It was no. great rock and roll stuff. So Thank you. Thank uh, you. that was very cool. And I hope you guys uh, still roll and come out with some new stuff because all you Pope Jane fans, they are still together. Now let's talk about your solo career. You, um, you do lots of different styles. Yeah. Tell us about uh, scoring movies, doing solo projects, doing acoustic projects. Uh, you just seem to have music oozing out of your pores. Thank you. I, I love to do a lot of different stuff. And I've found in my life that I don't really have... I, it, I'm responsible for getting this song out. Sometimes that song comes out rock. Sometimes it comes out country. Sometimes it's like my album Red Lodge, which is an Americana album. You know, it's it's not quite folk and it's not quite country. It's kind of in the middle there. So my duty as an artist is to not be vain about what title goes on the music, but to adequately translate that music through and get it down because those are songs that need to come through. Yeah, and the, your latest CD is titled Backseat Bordello. <laughs> Yeah, I'm classy. I love that title. That, I want a T-shirt that says that. Oh, no, <laughs> you know, she put she put that on the album before she got it approved. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how's that? We're helping your image over there, uh, Maurice the Fish. Yeah, we're Maurice the Whore now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Doing it from the back seat, baby. <laughs> I just got, I just got to say that uh, you know, was it five minutes ago? Voxy said something about six breasts. Yes, and I'm and still. It. I'm still on it. <laughs> I know. He's <laughs> not, not on one chick. That would be like a sow. Oh. You know, oh. that'd be weird. <laughs> I'm a Star Trek. Yeah, I was thinking green, six. <laughs> well, I encourage everybody to go to Danielle Egnew. That's D A N I E L L E G N E W, DanielEgnew.com. It is full of lots of information about Danielle. And uh, let's go into another song uh, of yours right now. This is titled Go Away. Well, you keep telling stories, swearing I'm the devil. Well, I might as well live up, crack your head up with a shovel, and I'll bury you someplace. They will never find you. I try to feel remorse, but I need to be reminded too. Slinger. Well, if you keep it up, then you're gonna be in a tight little space with a face full of duct tape, buried alive with your eyes looking to escape. I don't wanna have to kill you, I just want you to go away. And I know your mama loves you in that good old-fashioned way. I don't wanna have to kill you. It's easier to scrape. All right, name of the track is Go Away, and our guest today is Daniel Agnew. Voxy uh, oh all over that song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. A little bit of personal uh, yeah. interest No, in this, I just, uh, I, last week I went and checked name, out honey? your website for a minute and just kind of briefly listened to a couple of songs, and I was like, I'll get back to that later when I can put a little more time into it, and so... 
before I got ready to come here today, I went back in there and went through and I just, it was, I loved it. I lo- <laughs> you, know what so I, who? you know what reminded me of what, what initially went through my head was like a combination of the, I used to love her, but I had to kill her and the girl don't go away mad, just go away. Right. Like, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, That's just, awesome. Yeah, no, I loved it. Yeah. DanielleAgnew.com is where you can find out lots of great information. Um, one of the things that I, I find interesting, uh, this fascinates me the fact that you're a grammy voter oh what? first of all <laughs> they are so it's like this secret society right i mean i don't even know how many there are how do you become one and we have one sitting here you have you know the power of the vote in your hand for what we watch every year the grammy awards how did that come about um you know do you do you see that do you do you feel any you know like uh privilege or responsibility with that or is it or are there millions and we just don't know about it uh there's actually about twenty thousand voting members of the grammys and you're a voting member aren't you i am right are you so yeah mm-hmm. we're and just surrounded so, by geez. you know there's i feel left out you must bow down to us <laughs> I, I, I will how do i get a category and can i pay you off that's all i want to know now. <laughs> you know what's weird about the grammys is that you um you know, there's there's an associate member and there's a voting member. Right. And you have to, the voting member stipulations now are a little more stringent than they were even a couple of years ago when I submitted. But you submit, you have to have a, basically a uh, catalog that's been out for sale for a while. The Grammy Commission goes through and checks it out. Um and there's an adjudication process. So, I mean, you, you could have stuff for sale forever. Now there's an adjudication process and they, they're trying to, you know, because... Okay, because distribution is so common now, they're trying to, you know, everybody in the world would be a voting member, so they're trying to just kind of say, okay, let's make sure you've had enough of a career to make informed so decisions. So did they approach to, you, or do you apply for no, it? No, you can apply for it. You, get, you guys can go to Grammy.com. I'm on it, um, You can apply for it. Um, <laughs> you, you send your stuff in. It co- you know, it's, it's a dues organization. If you're an associate member, it's so much. It costs more to be a voting member. Hmm. Um, but uh, I get my Grammy ballots. It's, it's a, you probably do, too. It's a complicated process. Wait. You better have about five hours and a six-pack of Guinness. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. much. I mean, it's not just like you sign up to be a member of the Grammys. Right. They basically so, yeah. decide. So you're not voting on particular categories. It's the whole thing. You get you get you get a uh, basically a packet, yeah. and then you go to the website, and then you you use the, between the website and the packet. You you vote. basically have what what is it thirty two categories or something? It's a lot. And you um, they used to send you a booklet with all of the nominees in there. So we're talking you know hundreds of artists oh, that are yeah. nominated um, because actually our album uh, Red Lodge uh, made it. And yours was made it through the first consideration category too, didn't it? For uh, was it in two thousand eight September Sky? If if you and Sheena as a first consideration, then yes. Well, no, but I mean they have to literally what they do. Oh, is we sent it in. You yeah. sent it in, and they right. don't take everything you send in. So I'm okay. So say I do backseat bordello. I missed the cutoff for backseat bordello this year because I was producing Holly's album, and I was pissed because, <laughs> because I mean in the folk category, you know, yes. it's usually like oh a butterfly weeps, and I mean that backseat bordello. I'm yeah. a voting. Grammy member, you got a you got a patron or whatever, and you're looking for an interesting title on some of these artists you That's don't know. I thought we could have snagged a Grammy this year, but I was not available Next to do year. that. Next year. But basically you send your stuff in, they they uh, listen to an adjudication process and it makes it or it doesn't make it. Not everything that's sent into the Grammys gets considered Ray. I'm plugging you here. Uh, Ray's September <laughs> Sky made it through the consideration process and was on the, the preliminary Grammy ballot, and so is uh, Red Lodge. So um 
And then, of course, everybody votes. And then that gets down to your final five that you see at the Grammys. But there's an initial voting process. And then there's the actual, you know, there's and the elimination process. Very that's cool. Right. Who's getting kicked off the that. island this week? That's right. right. That's yeah, right. I, I didn't know that. I mean, I uh, just I've always you know watched the Grammy or checked out you know what who won or whatever, but never looked into the whole voting process. And so sounds pretty cool though. You know, I don't have five hours, so I'm not signing up. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what, about, what about the Guinness? <laughs> that I'm down with, but yeah. that doesn't take yeah. five hours. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, let's uh, let's flip over to another aspect of Danielle that is quite fascinating, I must say. Uh, you have your whole music side, which is amazing. That's how I know you, is through Pope Jane and through your solo career and stuff. But you're also a well-known clairvoyant, and you have um, a movie out, a DVD out that's titled Montgomery House, The Perfect Haunting. You're uh, sort of basically a ghost hunter in some some form, right? Yeah, that's basically my application. Um, Montgomery House, The Perfect Haunting, my concept behind that, it was filmed in Kalama, Washington, about a haunted bed and breakfast down there. Mm -hmm. And my concept behind it was I was the clairvoyant on site doing the walk through the house and dealing with the ghosts and whatnot, but was also to bring to attention uh, issues around spirituality and uh, physics around spirituality and dynamics around spirituality that you don't oftentimes see on the TV ghost hunting shows. I mean, there is ghost hunting involved in this, but it's not the focal point of, of the uh, uh, documentary by any means. There's a lot of tribal history to the Cowlitz Indian Nation, a ton of history on, on Kalama and why it's a haunted location, a lot of very informative and educated uh, discussion on the spiritual physics of hauntings. So there is an investigation, but it's, it's kind of offset by a bunch of other stuff. And you're on uh, L.A. Talk Radio on a program titled Haunted Playground. Yes. And uh, t just tell us a little bit about... Um, you as you as an individual, when did you discover this talent? When did it be, make itself you know clear to you? Uh, did it freak you out at first? Uh, were you hearing like you know, I hear dead people, or I mean, how did <laughs> how did it manifest itself to you? And then you know, did it freak you out? And then you had to come to grips with it, or was it just was is this a learned thing? I, I'm I'm fascinated by this. Instruct me how this came about to you and how you came to grips with this and now use it. Well. Honestly, I was about two years old, two or three, um, and we went to visit. I come from an Italian family, and we went to go visit my Uncle Dominic. We're talking old school, dude. You know, <laughs> I mean, he was a little scary. He was kind of scary, and he was married to my Annie Sylvia. And every time I would go up to their house, I would kind of nuzzle in and hide in my Annie Mary's skirts because Dominic was just a formidable guy. He just kind of looked right through you. Not a very warm person. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Later, I was recounting this story to my mother, and she comes up and says to me, uh, you couldn't have been, it must have been somebody else, not Annie Sylvia, that you were standing. I said, no, it was Annie Sylvia. She called me right over. I described her clothes, whatever. Come to find out, Annie Sylvia died a year before I was born. Ooh. So, and I just thought my mother was on crack. You know, yeah. I'm like, you're just not remembering it right, mom, because it was, I, I could see her. Like, I'm looking at you like a solid person. I could feel her dress. I mean, Wait, who, do you, who are you talking about? You uh, said you could see somebody. I don't. Where well, you were pointing, there's no one there. No. What the hell? <laughs> I'm a vampire. Perfect, leave me right? alone. Here's your mirror. Oh. No, but, I mean, it was, it was weird. And so um, over time, I just thought everybody had this ability, quite frankly. And mm -hmm. I didn't understand why I'd be picking stuff up or freaking out about stuff. And people would be looking at me like, what's your deal? So I learned to just shut up about it because you don't want to be that girl, you know. Um, and over the years, I've, 
I began working on some law enforcement cases to help out, just to tr- provide missing pieces. How, how do you? And how do you get? Do you go approach them, or did you say I have the service and they contacted you? How do you get involved with the uh, you know law law enforcement on, on cases as a psychic or a clairvoyant? Every law enforcement agent is different. Uh, mm-hmm. Agency is different. Um, it's recommended that you go down and you introduce yourself. You bring a nice business card. You don't look like, you know, Madam Lazonka or Miss Cleo. <laughs> and, man, I tell you about your dead case, man. Call one nine hundred, man. Right, right. Ten ninety nine per minute. So true. So I mean, in this, the first one I worked on, I actually had a friend who was a policeman and knew that I kind of did this way under the table. Right. And keeping in mind, my whole identity was a chick who sang for Pope Jane. Exactly. Right. So yeah. I was not okay with people knowing I could do this. I didn't want anyone to know I could do this because right. I thought people would think I was faking it or being stupid or trying to pull some sensationalistic crap to sell albums. And I didn't, I didn't want anybody to know about it. And mm-hmm. over time... You know, I would work on this case and, and then it would just the word would get out that I helped working on it and other other stuff, you know, that I would work with on people would kind of get out there to the point where when Pope Jane uh, in 2003 was getting courted by three different record labels, finally, like eight years later, mm-hmm. and um, we ended up kind of falling in the cracks when the industry fell apart in 2003. And I won't tell you that whole story. Happened to a lot of bands. Oh, yeah. It was. And by that time, though, I mean, we were very blessed with a huge fan base. We were on the FM radio in the lower 48. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were very blessed. It just didn't wasn't in the cards. Ha. Psychic joke. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, for that time. So I I had kind of a couple of years off uh, playing music, which Mm -hmm. really hadn't happened in my life in 15 years. All of a sudden I had this big hole. So I started working on the spiritual end of things. And. It just was kind of inevitable that both of these were, I still tried to keep them apart, but it, you know, the internet and whatever, and pretty soon they just kind of came together. So I thought, well, I might as well just, apparently this is going to be the way this goes. Didn't you work on some cases up here? Um, I kind of informally, Mm -hmm. I did. I can't, I I wouldn't be like one of the few I would claim, Um, but I've contributed information to a couple up here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to uh, know specifics, but can you... Give us any examples of uh, what what you would do for the police force. Did you? Um, I mean, because you know we we all watch CSI and you watch Criminal Minds and that kind of stuff. And you you know you they always every now and then they'll have a psychic come in and they walk in and go, I see a girl by the river, you know, in the mud or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they. And I love the way to get it solved in. Like 14 like, seconds. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, you guys rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 1-900 line, man. We're all calling. <laughs> uh, no, it, it's more like, uh, it, it's, again, it's dependent on the law enforcement agency. Sometimes uh, you come in and they don't want you to meet with the family and they have articles. Uh, like if it's a child abduction case or mm-hmm. something, they have articles they found in the woods. They're in bags. You can't touch them, but you can hold them. Right. Um, you and get it, sensation or you get flashes. You get everything. Or, you get yeah. massive downloads of touches and tastes and smells and last impressions and just wah. And mm-hmm. then you have to relay that information so that the law enforcement people can transfer that into usable evidence. Because there's no such thing as psychic evidence. And I would think that would be hard um, to walk into a situation like that and be um, obviously it's a, at this point it's a tragedy or a tragic case even if they're not dead something has something bad's happened yeah and you're getting this flood of uh, like you said smell sensation sounds does it ever ever overwhelm you to you know where is it hard to relay this information I tell the the truth is it is hard to try to keep your decorum to relay it in a way that 
will not be seen as being overblown. What I mean by that is mm-hmm. if you, a lot of law enforcement people are rolling their eyes anyway yeah. that you're called in sure. on the case. They're like, sure. oh, my God, here's the psychic. <laughs> oh, my God, where is my coffee break? I hate this girl. So um, you have to remain professional. Mm-hmm. And it's put me in some very awkward positions because, you know, we... I think as adults have a pretty reasonable control over our emotionality. Mm. But when you're holding something and you're feeling the fear of that kid in that kid's last few moments of their life and all the things that are happening to them at that time, that's a very overwhelming sensation. So I've kind of developed a way to uh, excuse myself, if you will, as this emotionality is, is going through me because you never want to discount the, you don't want the information discounted because it's, it's icky. It would seem hard to me to be able to step back and and you know, give that in a professional manner when you're just you're overwhelmed by emotion and so forth. But I think that's great that you do that, that you have that gift, and that you're using it for good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, now, we don't. Uh... Uh, now, on on just you know on a on a casual lighter side, I know uh, I've watched some clips of yours where you guys go through some houses and different scenarios. What's what's like the most? You're going into a situation where it's haunted or they there's spirits or whatever there what's the most unusual such situation you stepped into you know you went into a place supposed to be haunted uh you know you met casper or it was actually a rat running you know through the rat. what's the most unusual where you're like it was you came in expecting something and it was completely different uh you know recently in fact i would tell you uh i was up here in october playing a show and um some friends and i went ghost hunting after a show. They said, you got to check this house out next door. It's really haunted. And, and I you know, had a few cocktails in me and thought that would be a real good idea for some <laughs> stupid <laughs> reason. So, you know, off we went. Let's go too. hunting for spirits after we had, had a few, few spirits. drinks. Yeah. Yeah. F- F- yeah. FYI, I was invited to go along and I was like, sorry, I got to go home. <laughs> yeah, you would have. I think found that really interesting. And the yeah. short version of that story is um, there was a guy with us who happened to be an open channel medium, which means that that person's aptitudes make them prone to something diving right in and using them like a puppet and talking. But he had no control over it and he didn't even know he was one. It's kind of like if you had a back door that was open in your house and Mm -hmm. you didn't even know it was there. And we walked into this... you know, this house and there was a malevolent entity there that just went screaming, you know, right into this guy's body. And the guy's like six, four and the, the, the entity didn't like women. And um, it was kind of hilarious because the guy's a screaming gay guy. So I, and I thought the only leverage I had <laughs> yes, against is. this entity. <laughs> he is. This yeah. sounds like a great movie right here. I oh, my God. Flamboyant, to say the least. It, exactly. And, yes. and I mean, this, this is a dude who is just all this way. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there's this guy in his, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, this is bad. Because he's like your size. Right. right. And so I'm thinking this is not a good deal you know <laughs> so but you we, jet on out of there or no we had to get the spirit out of him first mm-hmm. but tell him he jumped into a, that's a exactly what i yeah. that's what like, i resorted hey, to you don't like women but um he's <laughs> what he doesn't either that's exactly <laughs> work, you picked the wrong dude man so, <laughs> so even spirits have a little bit of ego issues huh <laughs> well especially really dark rotten ones yeah, right? yeah. I, 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 I didn't know what else to do we were kind of screwed it was a bad situation oh, and this guy man. was very upset afterwards he was crying it really kind of shook sure. me up oh, I, sure. and my friend who was with me was looking at me like you want to our other friend whose idea this was was looking at me like okay great now my friend's possessed you're going to do something about that no I'm thinking doubt. I don't know I had a cocktail what do you want me to do it's his body. <laughs> God. All right, real quick before we wrap this up, uh, some uh, you have some dates left on your uh, on your little Northwest swing. What do we have those uh, 
Hayden's feverishly rolling through his iPhone or whatever. The no, I'm, I'm getting ready to take pictures whatever. of, of uh, Voxy here. Oh, oh, <laughs> wow, chicken, wow, <laughs> No, uh, I, do we have time for just a real quick question? Sure, I should go You ahead. know, um, as long as I've known you, I mean, it's like people who speak three different languages. It's like you wonder which language are they thinking in if they're speaking another language. How the heck do you keep all this stuff separated? I mean, I live oh. it with you sometimes, and I don't know how you do it. <laughs> well, um... I try to do what's called being where my hands are. In other words, it, whatever the work is at in front of me, I just do that work. And whether it's recording, whether it's working with a psychic client, um, whether it's doing a lot of uh, creative co- consultation for television, for paranormal stuff, which I've done, um, it just, it, whatever it is. The universe just has a way of putting in front of you what you need to do right now. That's exactly it. Yeah. And you just do the work. If it's make a movie, you make the movie. Foxy, yeah. that was beautiful. That was Voxy. That was very well spoken. I'm kind of all over the place and with (laughs) with my stuff too, and it's the same way. It's like I can't, I can't make like a schedule. Like, okay, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. It's kind of whatever comes to me is what I kind of have to focus on. So, well, our guest today, Danielle Agnew. You can check her out at DanielleAgnew.com. You got some dates there. I do. She's at the Mandolin Cafe. Oh, actually, let's back up. Yeah, she's at the Mandolin Cafe uh, this Wednesday, solo act. Uh, Thursday. The 27th, she is going to be at DOA, which is the old Sax on 6th Avenue. Great place. Thursday, or excuse me, Friday, she's going to be at the Madeline Cafe again with all the artists from Morris Fish Records who are doing an evening of Peter Gabriel music. Awesome. <laughs> and then Saturday, she is going to be opening for the Kim Archer Band at the Hub. Okay, we'll have those on our website as, uh, you know, as mentioned events, so go into our calendar. Check those out. Check out Danielle while she's in town. She's a sweet lady. She's super talented. And she has uh, awesome hair. She has great hair. <laughs> Thank you. So you <laughs> and um she's gonna do a live song for us so we're gonna take a break and uh, we'll be back with that all right we want to thank danielle for coming in here and raymond i gotta give you props my brother for putting that together yeah thanks man it's 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 all her all i am is a tool to wait a minute yeah you <laughs> are just a tool you are just a tool how we had you in here i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> now i know i justin <laughs> you know what? Hey, come on. I helped you guys out of Jazz Bones, and you, you put me in here. You, what the hell? Uh, another thing I, I have to give Ray uh, props on is um, he made something happen that is <laughs> it, yeah, on a personal level. And, and I, we have a lot of guests through here, and we've had um, you know big-time guests and so forth. But this next person that we had a conversation with is a personal I a, a hero of mine somebody who I really looked up to uh, being in broadcasting um, you know just enjoying the Seattle scene and so forth through the 90s and uh, the man is a legend there's no doubt about it and I, I gotta ask you again he's the voice of Maurice the Fish Records yep. how did this come about just uh, the history of how I knew him or just how it, we just asked him you know, basically, um, you know, years ago, I mean, the 90s, you know, just like, you know, we, you know, we've talked about, you know, off, off uh, camera, off, uh, <laughs> off record here, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to get, you know, uh, any DJ, any program director to even pay attention to you. And I just happened to notice that Pat was spinning music and bits and, you know, bumpers. And so I was in a band called Bad Flowers and we just, we sent him some stuff and I'll be damned if he didn't play it within the day he got it, called him, booked us on a show, fast boarding, um, different stations he went to, Como, et cetera. He had us on there. He broke my record, um, Door With Your Tears, years ago when um, uh, no one else would and had me on his show many times and we remained friends over the years. He'd reach out to me, reach out to him. And when, when, when I started Maurice Savish Records, um, he kept in touch and said he loved what was going on, said, hey, 
Pat, you know, there's no other person who, you know, being selfish, we'd want to have as the voice of Maurice Fish Records. And he absolutely jumped at the chance and 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 has sent us, you know, two sets of MP3s with every single artist and ready to help us. He's done stuff for Tacoma.fm and for us and just, yeah, I mean, that's simple. He's just an amazing talent. He, uh, like I said, Humble. He, he's been a hero of mine and somebody I've looked up to for a long time. The man, the myth, the legend, Pat Cashman joins us. And before we talk to him, this is one of my absolute favorite bits from Almost Live that he ever did. At Roscoe's Oriental Rug Emporium, we're saying goodbye. We're closing our store forever. And you can save like never before. Roscoe's Oriental Rug Emporium is saying, that's it, it's over, we're done, time's up, farewell, so long, toodaloo, we're out of here. We really mean it, no kidding, this is really it this time. I know we've said it before, but this is the real deal this time. We're hitting the bricks, gonna mosey, gonna sashay, gonna clear out, bamboos, saying adios, ciao, be the same, siren hour, au revoir, off to the way, go Godspeed until we meet again, which we won't, because Roscoe's Oriental Rug Emporium is closing forever. We're never coming back, it's over, we're done, we're shoving off, bowing out, Waking off, getting gone, it's at an end, we're cutting out, kaput, finish, drop the curtain, straight chance, pull up snakes, finish, this is absolutely, positively it this time, we're not pulling your leg on this, Roscoe's Oriental Rug Emporium is down the road, we swear we will never be back, it ain't gonna happen, forget about it, we're shutting it down, we've lost our lease, can't find it, don't care, because we're done, close it shut, putting up the shutters, There you have it. One of my favorite all-time skits from Almost Live, and uh, this man needs no introduction. We're talking legends in the Northwest as far as uh, TV, uh, broadcasting, uh, commercials. He's done it all. He's the voice, and he is the man. Pat Cashman joins us today. Pat, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Daryl. Maybe I don't need an introduction, but I sure need an explanation. That's sure. <laughs> well, uh, almost live. You were on Bill Nye the Science Guy, you, uh, Radio King, Cairo Como, KJR. You do ads on the radio, ads on TV. Uh, well, you've got a better memory than I do. I don't remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it all. I've been a huge fan for a long time. And yeah. uh, also, uh, you are the voice of Maurice the Fish Records. Yes, that's uh, perhaps my most august calling, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm and I'm also uh, a voice on uh, Nintendo's games, uh, Super Mario Brothers Brawl, or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah I was just going to bring. And that I don't up. even know, I don't even know what that is, but I mean, <laughs> it's like one of the most popular video games in the world, and so I have, I had kind of instant cred with. Uh, you know, teenage uh, guys especially, and I said, "Oh yeah, yeah." yeah so I'd start me. getting, I'd get a, be getting email requests from game players. Hey, would you do my name 
Oh, and, and make it like you did in the in the game, <laughs> and, which I did for a while, and then I started getting so many that I just said, you know, I, I better not do this anymore. I mean, this is this is a Nintendo game; they may not like that. So, right, yeah, that's the Wii video game, Super Smash yeah. Brothers Brawl, and yeah. Uh, yeah. that is a very I've never very... seen it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I just, <laughs> you know, just this dork that did the thing, and I don't so unhip. I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> Well, you were the voice of the uh, Washington Friars Commission, and you know, right now where everybody can hear you is doing the Taco Time commercials. And uh, my question to you is uh, about your career, because we all know what you do. Anybody who's hip in the Northwest knows Pat Cashman, watched Almost Live. I mean, it's ingrained into our DNA. Uh, Pat Cashman is is the voice. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your beginnings. I know you're from Bend, Oregon. How did you start out in uh, broadcasting and and find yourself in Seattle? Oh, I don't know. For one thing, I was not very bright, so <laughs> yeah. I had I had there was no chance I was going to become a doctor or a lawyer or something respectable. But um, I uh, I just I loved. Uh, radio broadcasting from when I was a little kid, and I'm I'm old enough to remember there were just a few straggling radio shows on. And when I say radio shows, I don't mean disc jockey shows. I mean dr- dramas, you know, things uh, or comedies that were, you know, situational. And I just so I would go into my little bedroom, and I had a a record player. And Maybe you can explain later, Daryl, to your uh, <laughs> record player. We is. have one of those in our studio right now just to remind the bands that come in what, what actually good, those good. things looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, vinyl was cool, and it is kind of cool again. But uh, And so I would uh, I'd do fake radio shows, but not, uh, not uh, DJ shows, but I would create little dramas and comedies and I'd write them out myself and I'd do all the voices and then I'd put the music on them and stuff like that. And then I'd force my four younger brothers to come in and listen to them <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. So, But I was just always attracted to it and I got a chance to start doing a little radio work when I was in high school and I I pursued it after college and uh, and I was a DJ and I did a morning show in, in small markets. And then at some point, in my early 20s, I said, you know what? I don't want to do this because every other disc jockey that I see is uh, they're overweight. They're, they <laughs> smoke too much. They drink too much. They're unhappy. They move from town to town. And I didn't want that for myself. So I decided I would shift gears and get more over into the advertising arena. And, and that's what I did. For a while, I thought I had the thought I would go to work for ad agencies. And then I got a, a job... Uh, Ultimately, uh, working in Seattle, I went to Eugene, Oregon, and Boise, Idaho. You know, the big market. Yeah. <laughs> Those hot northwest towns. Working. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, and then straight to the top. Yes. And uh, so then I went to, uh, then I got a chance to come to Seattle. Again, I was an, uh, a commercial producer, and I was really happy with that. I thought that would be just fine. And, uh, but then along the way, uh, I started sort of insinuating myself into other kinds of things at the, at the television station. I'd sort of sneak onto other TV shows and then almost live came along and, uh, occasionally they would run out of, uh, time and material and they did, didn't have, you know, the wherewithal to fill the entire half hour or hour 
they were an hour show for a while. So they would ask people like me, if you got any idea for a bit, just do it. Go produce it. And so I started doing that, and then more and more I got intrigued on being you know, both a writer, but also on in front of the camera, and uh, and uh, and then that led also to me uh, starting to do radio more and more until I got a, a radio show of my own, and I kind of liked that too. So at, at one point, I had those two rails going, both doing radio and doing almost live, and uh, I have to tell you, it was just about the the greatest, most fun time of my life, and it was really, really, I was just a very lucky person to get that get that chance. And I never had the desire to. You know, people always would say to me, well, "Why don't you go down to Los Angeles and do something down there?" And I really, I never had that. That that just wasn't anything I wanted to do. I th- I figured, yeah, I'll go down to L.A. I'll stand in line behind <laughs> five hundred other people, or I can stay here and think of an idea and get to produce it and put it on TV. Just like that, and I, I mean that to me was was the opportunity. It was the the creative the process, not not the, the you know the so called fame or all that other stuff. It's it just getting to do it. And that was what that's what drove me. Well, and aren't we the lucky ones? Because uh, uh, during the reign of Almost Live, uh, I was telling some of my uh, friends here that uh, <laughs> that was really sort of, in my opinion, it was sort of a downtime of, of Saturday Night Live. And I can remember many a Saturday nights just trying to stay awake through Saturday Saturday Night Live to get to Almost Live, and then you guys would knock it out of the park. Uh, but it would go so fast. I would, you, and it was like I, I got to wait another week for this because it was. You guys were so on target. It was so funny. And well, it, that's really nice of you to say. It, it, if if you watch the show now and they continue to rerun it, the way you described the lineup is 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 true. It's Saturday Night Live, then Almost Live. Right. But when the show was being produced, Almost Live was in the it was in the front seat. And that came on at eleven thirty, and then Saturday Night Live. So we, so the King TV was able to persuade NBC to push Saturday Night Live back a half an hour, which they really didn't want to do, but they did, and that's that's when Almost Live finally found an audience, and uh, because it really struggled in some other time periods, including Sundays. At 6 p.m., which yes. is just a, who the heck would want to watch <laughs> I know. that show? I, that I do remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, true. So uh, the, the reason the show, if, and you're very kind to say those words about it, but if the show did turn out to be pretty good eventually, it was because it got to be on the air so long and we got to work together so long. I mean, the whole lifetime of the show was 15 years, and nowadays, you know, the show's last six weeks and they're gone it's hard you know if the show had been canceled uh two three years in it probably deserved to be because it really wasn't very good a lot of the time if you look back at early almost lives it, it's such a stinker i'm i'm embarrassed <laughs> but, uh, as, but you eventually like in any other walk of life you get to do something for a while you get a little more seasoned at it you start to figure it out and you get better and and uh and that was the lucky circumstance with almost live and i think the reason maybe for people like you and others that that liked that show was because it when it was at its 
best, it, it made fun of the neighborhoods and the towns and Absolutely. the cities that we all live in. And that's what people really liked. Yes. Well, at, though, there was that and uh, all your, you know, I was just watching the other night uh, at one of the re, uh, one of the reruns and um, they had, uh, you guys were doing, uh, one of the bits was making fun of John Denver. And, and you guys, you guys didn't pull punches. And it was, it was very funny. You guys would touch topics that you know, because Seattle was riding the, the, the beginning wave of the sort of political correctness, and you guys would continually pay, poke fun at that. And it was great to walk around town, and, uh, you know, we were constantly referencing Almost Live, you know, the, the Ballard Cops or, um, yeah, yeah. you know, all those things. They were fantastic. You know, it's a great – I wasn't around during the J.P. Patches days. I, I grew up elsewhere. But yeah, so did I. But I've gotten to to know him, and he's, and I've heard a lot, so many stories about him. And I, if almost live is compared to his show, then that that's the most flattering comparison I think you could make because uh, he he really he really dialed it into what it was like to live here, and especially to grow up as a kid here. In, oh yeah, in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, well, I, I was I just say uh, I have seen the D, some of the DVDs of of his shows, uh, and like I, I wasn't around for that. But in my opinion, uh, and opinion of a lot of people I talk to, Almost Live is to this day still the greatest locally produced show of all time in the Seattle area. There's no question about it. And you guys Could had you a... slow down a little bit. I'm trying to write this. Whole <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> slow this up and I'll frame it. I think he wants to. That's really kind of, you. that's nice of you to say, Daryl. I, um, you know, it, it could have been any bunch of, of, uh, doing the show, but, uh, I just felt so lucky to be, just pure dumb luck to be a part of it, and uh, and you you get to uh, you get I, I I forgot I lost my train of thought there, which is not unusual. Uh, <laughs> That's I, okay. I uh, missed the train. I, I wonder, but I, but I, I just say you you get we hear it gets so many nice comments from people all these years later. It's just so gratifying and it's, and so nice and. Um, when people, if they recognize you in a supermarket or something like that, they're more likely to smile when they see you because that you think they you somehow evoked a memory or one bit or something that they really liked. And, oh, lot, lots and, and uh, lots of bits. And I, I want to talk to you in just a second about your uh, your radio days. Uh, but I, I just real quick, is, is, are there any plans or anything in the works for the almost live? dvd set are you guys going to release any seasons uh i i personally uh dvr them and have a whole cachet of them but i would love a dvd set you know you know of anything going on with that no and i think the and i think uh nothing's impossible but i would say uh the impediment is that so many of the uh bits it, it, the music is the is the issue. It's per, it's production music that we use as TV stations, uh, you know, um, by a uh, music library. And if we had to, you know, pay the rights to that for for mass distribution uh, nationwide, worldwide, I think that would make it cost prohibitive to do it. Um, the way the shows were, were produced and the way the bits were done. 
it, you know, the music cannot be easily stripped off. If we, if we had had the, the, the foresight and the technology back then to do it that way, we would have put the music on a wholly different tracks and you could have stripped it off and replaced it with new music. But it wasn't done that way. Right. Uh, nobody, we were just doing the show, not thinking down the road. Why would you? And so that's, that's the reason I think. But I, uh, you, you can really sh- see an awful lot of that stuff. Uh, there's a, a guy who calls himself George Buford, which is, <laughs> which is, uh, which is a non plume. It's not his real name, but he records the show every week and he dutifully posts all of these things up on YouTube. YouTube. Yes. There's just a ton of stuff up there. And he, uh, principally is putting it all up there. So a lot of things are accessible. You just type in almost live and you'll, You'll see just about the entire Almost Live canon. Yeah, thank YouTube God right for now. YouTube. And also, uh, people can catch it on um, Kong and on King. They rerun I've them. I've heard about Kong. I, d- I haven't been watching it on Kong. Yeah, I have Kong a- apparently is running really old stuff. Yeah, it's like, I- a, it's like a classic. Uh, they do. They run a lot of the old Almost Live stuff. And they, they run uh, back-to-back episodes, I believe, on Saturday night, and then uh, they run... Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, and so any you can set your DVRs for that, and you get a lot of the older stuff, and it, it's gold, man. It's absolute gold. Now, let's talk about radio for a moment, because um, I, I've i always been a big fan of your radio career, and I know you are a radio guy. You have, a, obviously, a great voice, and you had a talk show. You were also a morning host, and have uh, run the gamut of the radio world. What is your take on radio these days? I myself was a disc jockey and um, got out of it because I was a little disheartened with the corporate angle of things and uh, how they had lost touch, I believe, with the, uh, the true local market. But I'm curious about, from your perspective, and I know you still do, you know, you're on the radio with your advertisements and stuff. And do you still do things for the KJR before the Husky games? No, I, I do. Uh, yeah, for the uh, for the uh, Husky football season, I would do a bit yes. every week. Yes, uh, I've heard I've heard some of those. So you're still prevalent on the radio. But a, I'm, as a disc jockey, as somebody who sat behind the mic day after day, what is your take on the landscape of local radio these days? Well, I, I'm not real... Uh, I'm not real um, optimistic about it, and and I'm leaving myself entirely out of the equation. Uh, I just I just think that radio's best uh, purpose, its best use, is to be, for lack of a better word, uh, a companion uh, and and entertain people and 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 be a touchstone to what's going on locally. I mean, that's something satellite radio can't deliver. It's not something you can readily get on, on uh, you know, the internet. Uh, that to me is 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 where radio is is so strong. We can it can just be a a, a close and, and intimate and funny and informative friend uh, to people. And uh, they you know they always call radio this warm medium compared to television which was cool that old marshall McLuhan stuff right but it's really true and uh so what what i liked about radio was the immediacy of it i mean almost live was great don't get me wrong but it's but that show was mostly scripted uh radio we just made it up as we went along and i loved that uh 
and you reacted to the news of the day and all of that sort of thing. And now, uh, so much of radio locally right now is music radio. And, and in many cases, like when I lost my last job at KJR FM, they didn't even replace me. They just played music all morning long and didn't have a, a host. And, uh, yeah, that's I, a very, I, very common trend with a lot of the yeah. uh, so-called, you know, personality-driven radio, and, and that's that has been my problem. And and it's refreshing to hear you say that because uh, uh, we've talked to Ichabod Kane and we've talked to Marty Reamer, who actually now is back on. But uh, yeah, we talked talk to John Maynard. We've talked to a lot of the uh, the personalities behind. The shows that we grew up loving because we enjoyed them, we enjoyed their humor, their banter. Pat Cashman, I loved your show. I woke up to it every morning. It was funny. It's fresh. And I just don't think radio, the, the executives or so forth, get it. I know it's about bottom line. It's about money and so forth. But at the same time... Well, that's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you you know, if you, you figure we uh, dollar for dollar, we could do just as well. Uh, not having as many staff and, and just playing music, uh, then why not? And I think their uh, beliefs have been recently reinforced over the last couple, three years by the this new people meters rating system. Yeah, that's a weird which uh, new Which kind of turned thing. everything upside down. Certainly I mean, did. you used to have talk radio shows that were really popular in, in, in the ratings, and then the, this new rating system came out using a different methodology, and all of a sudden, I believe, like, usually the top ten stations uh, are all music stations. They're playing all the music, and then down the dial you find those talk stations and the, the more personality-driven formats, and, and, and I don't think I believe that. Uh, even, if the, even if the music stations are have higher ratings... I don't think people tune in a music station and listen attentively to it. They they are no. they're puttering around the kitchen. They have it on at work. To me, if I was an advertiser, I'd want to buy a station where I knew people. Maybe the audience wasn't as deep, but it was very broad. And when when there was somebody talking on the radio that they liked, they were really listening, and they didn't tune away during the commercials. And I would want people to hear my commercials. Yeah, and I think we have, you know, there are certainly are some still some good talk shows in the Seattle area. But uh, I just remember listening to KXRX growing up. You had, you know, like Mike and you know yep. uh, Crow and West, and and of course Bob Rivers was uh, his clan and Ichabod Kane back in the day and and all these guys who you tuned in yeah there was music but you like to hear them you like to hear their bits you like to you know hear uh their take on the news and so forth and it really kind of is disheartening that we've gone away from that but I really enjoyed your program and I, I always thought you guys were really funny and you know you just have such a magnificent voice uh, we really miss it on the radio well, you're you're great, Daryl. Thank you for that. I, I the only thing I would point out too uh, is is that if you go to well, somebody says like a station says, "Hey, we'll see you down at uh, Larry's Bar tonight at five o'clock. Join us." And then you go there. There's nobody there. I nobody know, shows that is up. So true. But I mean, on our show and a lot of other personality shows, there was a reason for people to show up because they felt like they knew you. And we would do events like at bowling alleys where you'd get free bowling. I mean, we'd fill the Kenmore 
bowling alley, it had 50 lanes, and they were all going at the same time. People would come to our live events in their pajamas, and <laughs> it, it was it was really fun. But that to me, that that's what radio has been, used to be, and, and can be again if somebody uh, decides, you know what, uh, we're not just going to play music anymore. If people just want to hear music, they can listen to their iPod. Uh, let, let's give them something beyond that, and let's Let's bring them a real show. Well, I say amen to that, brother. I, I'm all over that. And, and when that day happens, uh, I hope we get Pat Cashman back in the fold because I would show up in my pajamas to bowl with you any day. I don't I'll wanna... show up in my walker. When that day <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Pat, it, it's, been, it's been really, really a pleasure to, uh, to talk to you, and I don't want to take all of your time. But... Can I leave you with one joke that somebody told me? In fact, John Maynard is the one who told me this joke, so maybe he's already told it on your show. No, I I don't think he has. Go ahead and tell us about it. All right. Uh, uh, You either really like this joke or you really don't get it or don't like it. Okay. Picture the scene. There's a bar. And all of a sudden, one day, a duck walks into the bar wearing a hard hat. The duck jumps up on the bar stool, and the duck says, a bartender, give me a whiskey. <laughs> the bartender stares open mouthed and said, Oh my God, you're a duck and you can talk. Yeah, so what? Give me a whiskey, would you? I'm working across the street on a construction project. I'm going to be there for about a week. I'm going to come into your bar every day and I want to have a whiskey waiting for me. Okay, sure, you got it. And that's what happens for the entire week, every day. Duck comes in wearing his hard hat. He's working on a construction project across the street. Jumps up on the bar stool, has his whiskey. On the seventh day, it's been a week now, the duck comes in and says, Well, I am wrapping it up across the street. My job's ending over there. I'll be out of work. Bartender says, Hmm, that's tough. Hey, tell you what, while you're drinking your whiskey, let me make a phone call and I'll be right back. All right, fine. So the bartender goes around behind the bar, goes back into an office area he has set up there, calls up a friend of his who owns a circus, and he says, Hey, Larry, what would, what would you do if I told you I have sitting in my bar right now a duck who can talk? And Larry says, Gee, that sounds great. I could use him here. Tell you what, if he can show up for work tomorrow, he's hired. Great, I'll tell him. He hangs up, walks back out into the bar. Duck's still nursing his drink. He says, I've got good news for you, my friend. I have a friend who owns a circus, and he would like you to start work for him tomorrow. The duck looks at him and says, Why would a circus need a drywaller? (laughs) (laughs) If you liked it, (laughs) if you didn't like it, Blame Maynard. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to talk to Maynard about that one. He's never told me that. But the okay, Ma- Daryl and Boxy uh, and all of you, thank yes. you very much. Pat thank Cashman, you. the voice. Good, great talking to you. Yeah, the legend. Thank you, Pat. We appreciate it. Thanks, Daryl. All right, we want to thank Pat Cashman for coming on with us. That was that was awesome, dude. I owe you uh, a lot. 
because I really enjoyed talking to him. And, and more importantly, I thought it was important what he had to say about radio and just about um, the landscape of the Northwest radio scene and so forth. I talked to so many people who have been in broadcasting, in and out of broadcasting. And, and it's weird how we all have the same conclusion except management. Yep. They're always I, I, I don't understand why they don't get it. Uh, I do understand that they can make money off just spinning CDs and so forth. But there's something to be said about connecting to the community and having a product that somebody will tune into and listen to. And the music then or the ads or whatever are then attached to it. Well, look what you're doing. That That is why, seriously, why the Northwest Convergence Zone, right, right, Foxy? I agree. Um, is why, why you're so successful and why you're just... It's the tip of the iceberg is because you know what um, they're not doing it in the you know the the corporate world if you will so it's got to go underground if you will yeah. there's a lot of underground stuff going on and we're just happy you're the to top be, of the heap baby ah we're happy to be part of it I don't know about top of anything if you're top but, of the heap that you're not really under you know you know what you guess you're not under, so you're the under the hop hey I, and by the way I do you know you said you owe me something you don't owe me anything but I do I like to get a copy of that boxy <laughs> absolutely we'll burn hey, a copy for you, you. all you right got my number sugar I mean give it to me know, all right you two take it to off another air. room. Oh, off air. <laughs> that's the end of segment one. Let's get out of here with uh, a band that's coming up in our next section. This is a third law of motion. You want to stick around and hear what they have to say. This is a song titled Echo. Echo. 